Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we're in Salina, Salina, excuse me, uh, Utah, and we're with Rodney, and we're at the CCC and POW Museum here. And the CCC stands for Conserva uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. And that was something that operated during the Depression, as far as I know. I've always been interested in the CCCs. And Rodney said he'd be kind enough to open up in the middle of winter and take us through. I can tell you there's not a lot of heat in here, so this podcast may be a little bit quick. But uh, talking to Rodney already, I've, I've learned a bunch, and, and I'm excited to share this with you. So welcome, Rodney, to Where Am I to Go? Thank you, thank you. Uh, the CCC program uh, was started in 1933 at the beginning of the Depression uh, by President Roosevelt. Um, it was geared for young men ages 18 to 25 who were not married and who were unemployed. Uh, it was under the direction of the military, uh, so their uniforms and everything was provided for them. Uh, the building we're in now was the headquarters for the commander. The building that the POW Museum is was part of that. Uh, these two buildings were lined up facing east and west along Main Street about a half a block from here. The barracks that the young men stayed in were in the big parking lot across the street where the rodeo uh, club has their big parking lot. They had seven barracks there. Each barracks would handle 50 young men. Uh, the pictures that we have here show about 130 to 150. Uh, the young men would sign up for a period of six months, and then they could sign up for three more six-month period, making a total of two years. Uh, they were paid $30 a month, which today doesn't sound like much, but back then in the 30s, $30 was a good amount. However, they had to send $25 of that home to their family, so uh, <laughs> that uh, left them with $5, but uh, then they had penny candy and a bottle of pop with a dime or whatever, and so they uh, were taken care of, and also uh, it helped these young men, plus helping their families. So we had 35 camps here in Utah. Uh, the statue 35 out, camps? 35. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the statue out in front of this building is an original statue of a young man they used for the make the mold. Uh, it is owned by the, the Heritage 
CCC Heritage uh, Fund. Uh, the goal was to have at least one statue in every state. We have two here in Utah, this one here and one down at Zion National Park. Um, the purpose of the, the, the uh, CCC program was to help in conserving uh, the, the, uh, and the planet, as you would say, uh, helping with the climate change and everything. But they planted a lot of trees. They did a lot of road work. They did a lot of terracing. They built uh, parks. They built uh, house, lookout towers for the, the Forest Service. Uh, in this area of Salina, they <clears throat> built the campgrounds at Fish Lake. Uh, the campground at the uh, Gooseberry Ranger Station and the campground at Maple Grove, which is between here and I-15 going to the west. Um, they also, they, we have a place here in Salina which we call Soldier Canyon, and it was considered to be a floodplain, so they built three dams across there, and they built little uh, rock and cement overflows so that the water would build up behind one dam and then go to the next, so it would kind of control the water coming out of that canyon. Uh, they also built the road through there. Uh, all of the work that these young men did was pick and shovel handwork, so they had to pass a very stringent physical exam. And the road that they built up through that canyon, in places it was just rock that they had to go through. Um, they did a lot of terracing work up east of Nephi on those big tall hill mountains. You can see some terracing, and that's uh -huh. a sample of the kind of work that they did. Uh, they did work here around the Salina Creek area uh, to prevent high water in the spring from washing the banks away. Uh, they built um, a big waterfall on Salina Creek, just about three, a mile or two up the canyon on I-70. Uh, you can see it as you go to the east. Uh, that uh, helped the uh, flow of the creek. They also built another one, a bigger one, up farther up the canyon. You can't see that from the freeway, but they built that. Um, they planted a lot of trees around the area, and uh, it was a, a good program uh, for these young men. Uh, it uh, gave them something to do, and uh, the work that they did was very constructive for the area. Uh, the 35 camps we had in Utah, um, we don't know how many were in each camp, but they would sign up for six months, and then they, some would transfer, so there was a transfer in and out every six months. So uh, the building that we're in now, we have, they tried to keep these buildings original as they could when they refurbished them. Okay. Uh, the buildings are made out of one by 12. They were covered with tar paper for insulation. Uh, when they refurbished them, they put wood on the outside and painted it black. This building and the next building also has the tar paper on the front. That didn't keep for real warm uh, winters, did it? No, I mean, it probably wasn't a whole lot warmer than what it is right now, other than the potbelly stove right in the yeah, middle. That's, that's the potbelly stove that they had. <laughs> the desks are original. The typewriters are original. We have the 48-star flag that we have hanging here. Um, the reason that we have the uh, gun cabinet here is that when the CCC program ended in 1942, they ended it because they needed the young men for the military. And uh, at that time, in 1942, they brought in the German prisoners of war. Can we back up quite a ways? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, first off, the CCCs were founded, you said, in 1933. Right. And why were they founded? To help with 
people that were out of work, the 18 to 25 year olds, and uh, if they were out of work and not married, they could sign up for this program. But they were out of work because right. of the Great Depression. Right. This, the Great Depression hit in 1929, which is hard to believe that that's only 90 years ago. Yes. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah. But uh, the Great Depression hit in 1929, yeah. and then Roosevelt was elected what year? I'm not I'm sure. Not sure. But part of his restructuring or his New Deal, New Deal program yeah. was the CCC program. Right. And so they brought in these these youth that were between 18 and 25 that were looking for work, 24. 25. 25, okay, that were looking for work, and they put them to work Mm -hmm. uh, in these situations. Now, did they pay all of their room and board? You said that they had barracks. Did they get fed also? Everything was taken care of for them. The military took care of them. And what branch of the military were they under? I think it was the Army. I'm not sure. Okay. They were under the direction of the military, so... Everything, they, their uniforms, their clothing, their food, their lodging, everything was taken care of. That's why they sent 25 of that $30 home to their families. Okay. Because Plus they, their families were having a hard time because right. of the Depression. Right. right. Okay. And the $25 would help some if they're to their families when they would have to send that. So. Okay. And so... They were working, did they have regular hours? Were they working like five days a week, eight hours a day? Or were they working 12 hours a day, four days a week? Or were they working eight hours a day, seven days a week? They were working just a regular eight hours, five days, as far as I understand. Okay, and did they have to go through a boot camp like the, like the military personnel did? No, the they thing that, that they did was they gave them a very stringent physical exam, which probably would be doing some work like they would be doing to see if they could handle that kind of strenuous work. Okay. But it wasn't, as far as I know, there was no boot camp as such, but they did have to pass that very stringent physical exam. And did they have to have any skills before they showed up? So they were trained on the job in lots of different fields. I know like uh, in the town close to where we are, we have a wall all the way around the fairgrounds that was made of rock. And also in Yellowstone Park, there's several different bridges and stuff that were all rock work. So I'm sure a lot of them came out being stonemasons. Yeah. And then, like you said, they built dams and they built parks. And so they came out with skills when they were done. Maybe kind of like the uh, Job Corps now yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they, they actually were trained on the job, as it, as it were. Uh, they came into the program uh, green, and then they worked with others who had been on the job for a while so that they did get training as they progressed through the system. So, Okay. And you said that they had seven barracks here, and each one would house, 150, or, or would ha- house 50 men. Yeah. And you said that there was about 150 in the camp at the time? Uh, that's as far as the, the pictures that we have, the photographs of the groups. 130 to 150 is all we have in those pictures. So in other words, half the barracks were left empty. Yeah. Or maybe they just weren't packed in as tight as sardines. Right, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And and then this camp closed in 1942. Mm-hmm. And that was because we got involved in the European conflict of World War II, correct? Right. And the young men were needed for the military. 
And so uh, then they had to go to boot camp, or did they were they able to transfer right on in? Do you no, know they that? They had to go through the regular military process. Okay. Yeah. And was this as regimented as, as the military? I mean, were they up at, at 5 o'clock in the morning with a bugle call and have to do the raising of the flag and have to do the marching or any of that stuff, or was it a little bit more lax? I think it was a little more lax. The thing that they had, they would have to get up for their meal period. They had their meal time set. Okay. Uh, but as far as regular military tra- marching and everything, that was not part of the process because they were out working during the day rather than having to be in the camp doing the other kinds of things that they did in the military. But uh, when they, they closed the camp uh, in 1942, they took the barracks and some of the administration buildings over to Delta, the Topaz. Okay. And they reconstructed them over there. And that's where they housed the Japanese Americans during the war. So they had an internment camp here also? Yeah, over in Delta. It's about 75 miles west of here. Okay. Do they have a museum there? I'm just yes. curious. Yes. Okay. I'm going to have to try and hit that one tomorrow because yeah. we, where we're from, uh, they had a, a Japanese internment camp mm-hmm. in Powell, Wyoming, mm-hmm. which we did, one of our very first podcasts out was the internment camp at, at Powell, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we've also done a couple of other prisoner of war camps. We did one in Arizona. And we did one in Douglas, Wyoming. I, I was not aware of the the World War II prisoner of war uh, camp situation in the United States. Mm-hmm. I always thought that the prisoners of war must have been in other places until probably five years ago when all of a sudden this came on my radar. And, and I'm amazed at how many camps there are. Mm-hmm. But back to the CCCs. <laughs> so, so the barracks got transferred around and sold off, except for these two, or did you have to bring these two back? Uh, these two were part of the administration buildings lined up east and west. on uh-huh. They just moved them up here and reset them. Okay. And then uh, when they, the city used them for storage buildings for quite a while, when they decided to do the museum, they put the wood on the outside and painted it black. And they, this is the original flooring and everything that's in this building is original. Okay. So that they did what they could to keep them as original as they could. Okay. And the CCCs, now, did they bust them out to different communities or did they all stay within like maybe a 40 or 50 mile radius of... Well, they, they stayed in, within a certain radius. They had 35 camps. So that would mean we have 29 counties. So okay. some counties would have two, some would have one. So they, they had the camps uh, all around the whole over the, over the area. And they would just take them to that area that they served because they had so many camps in Utah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Now this this is the original telephone they had. Uh, <laughs> and we're looking at it. We're looking at a at a square box telephone that's about a foot square. Has a, a regular old style phone receiver on the side, and then a hand crank. Yeah. So they must have had to hand crank so many cranks yeah. in order to get the call out. Yeah. Down where the family dollar store is now. Uh huh. On that corner, there was an old two story house. And they had converted the first floor to the telephone exchange. And you've seen pictures of these ladies sitting with their right. headsets on in front of the board. And it would light up and they'd plug in. And that's what they did. And they cranked this number. And then they'd crank it. And then it would light up on that board. And they would plug in, <laughs> get your number. And then they'd plug in and dial it. These young men could go down to that exchange and make calls home. So they could call home. Yeah, they could call home. And 
find out how they were, their parents were doing, families were doing, and like that. But, and where did most of these guys come from? If you had 35 camps in Utah, yeah. did most of the people come from Utah, or were they all over? All over? All over. And were they assigned, like uh, like the military assigns people to go to Germany or Vietnam or wherever they get assigned to, were somebody in New York assigned to come to Utah, or was this all choice? I think I don't know exactly the answer to your question. The only thing that I can think of is that they put them where they were needed. Okay. So if this camp was low on numbers, then they would put them here. If there was a camp that was high on numbers, they might take some of those and bring to the lower numbered camps. But it was so that they could keep a good flow of work, uh, people, guys to do the work in the area that they needed to do. Okay. Uh, I don't know. We have a video of this. I don't know if you'd want to spend time with that. Not on the podcast. Okay. I, I do podcasts as a, as a okay. verbal uh, yeah. deal because I really hope that people will stop in and uh -huh. see uh -huh. the actual museum. Okay. Uh, I try to describe different things as I see them, but uh, uh, it's just one of those things that I want people to come experience. Yeah. They need to get out of their houses and do something besides yeah. watch the History Channel. Yeah. Yeah, this... Uh, <laughs> This, uh, the CCC boys, uh, in that period of time that they were working, they planted three billion trees. Three billion? Three billion. They made 92,000 miles of road. They did <sighs> six to 800 camps like at Fish Lake and Gooseberry. Uh -huh. And uh, they did all of the terracing work. They did a lot of these lookout towers for the Forest Service. So it was a major project. Uh, one of the more successful government projects that they had. That's uh, amazing. I had a gentleman ask me, he says, well, maybe we should start one today like that. And I said, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Exactly. And these buildings are, these uh, administration buildings are, are what? Probably uh, 35 or 40 by 15 or 18? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're not real big. Now, were the barracks bigger than this? Well, we have a picture back here I can show you. This is the commander's bedroom here. Okay, so the commander stayed in the in the administration building. Yeah. And they've got a bedroom set up here with a little cot. Uh, commander sitting here with his little radio. A pitcher leaning up against the book of his girl. And he's in uniform. And, and it looks a lot like a military uniform that he's wearing. It, were the commanders wearing military garb while the workers were wearing work garb? Yeah, see, they, this, when they okay. took pictures, they had them in uniform. Okay. And, so, and they're all wearing ties and, yes, and yeah. all of yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then on the other side, you have a little uh, latrine. Is, is, was it, did this have running water at the time? It, did, it had running water. The shower... Is uh, the, that mirror has fallen off the wall? I'll have to get. Uh, the shower is made out of uh, metal with the wood floor in it. Oh, really? And uh, some of them ask, "Well, where's the toilet?" Well, at that particular time, they had to go outside for that. So they were still outhousing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. This, this is a picture looking a bit down on the camp. These are the administration okay. lined up here. These are the barracks that the boys stayed in. Okay, and, and we're looking at a picture that has uh, okay. one, two, three, four, five, then the two administrative buildings. It uh, looks like a large tent and a couple of other small outbuildings. Here's another picture over here. This, this, uh, 
These are the barracks that the young men were in. Okay, and they're all lined up in a yeah, row, and then facing, the, like you said, east and west. Was, well, pit, these are pit, facing north and south. The, the barracks are, yeah, and, this and then pit, the administrative these buildings. These two buildings are the ones we'll be in today, and then there were other administration buildings up here. Okay. That they uh, took, and these are the ones they took down, and they have some of these others, and moved more with Delta. Okay. Yeah, they said they put them together with screws because they knew they'd have to take them down. So it'd be easier to get the screws out than have to pound the nails out of the board. So, yeah. That's kind of interesting. I didn't yeah. know that they had screws like, I mean, yeah. we use a lot of screws nowadays, yeah. Yeah. but uh, I didn't know that they were using a lot of them this at that point This is the original license plate from the CCC. Really? They found when they were digging here. And that says U.S. CCCs, yeah. and it has the... the uh, logo or the emblem, stamped emblem, mm -hmm. and it says the Department, of Department of Agriculture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a cool license plate. It's a little bit uh, discolored. Yeah. but yeah. Uh, well, it was in the dirt when they found it. So really? These are the tools that they used. This is the original transom that the engineers used to do their survey work. Now, this post hole digger over here I had a gentleman come through, and he says that's the most awkward, useless piece of tools that I ever got a hold of. I've used I've used some that look very <laughs> similar, and they're a pain in the butt. Yeah, but. he he said I tried to do a postal with it. I threw it away and got my shovel and finished my postals. Well, you know, I think I'd rather use that post hole digger than I would that scythe. Oh, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because running that scythe all day long would not be fun. No, uh -uh. no. And then we've got some picks and some. Uh, it looks like kind of a sledgehammer pick yeah, and a shovel and a CCC hat. Really? What's the story with the CCC box? I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. That was just... Uh, We've got a wooden box. It's about 12 inches long, uh, 8 inches deep, and 4 and a half inches wide. And it says CCC 71618 on yeah. top. Yeah, so. Oh, that was the number of the camp. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this, these are ropes that they used and everything, so. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, so that kind of covers the CCC part of the well, of the story? Yeah, and that, like, we have the video, but then the stuff that's in there, I, I've told you more, almost what's in there, but this just shows you in the video what right. it was, how the workers did what they did and things like that, so. It runs about seven minutes. Okay. Well, let's take a walk on over to the POW okay. camp, and we'll talk about uh, the POW aspect of this. Okay. When we first walk in, what we see is a big diorama of the camp. It's a scale model of the camp. Um, this white strip here would represent Main Street, and this was in that big parking lot again where the barracks were, only it went clear back to the hill. The rodeo grounds weren't there then. Okay. So we went clear back to the hill. They had 43 tents, uh, three guard towers. This one, one, one over in that corner, one over here, which would be on this hill across the street. Okay. Which was about 30 feet taller than it is now. They've leveled it off to park equipment on it. Okay. Um, we had 250 prisoners here in this camp. And where did the prisoners come from? Uh, they were they came from the South Africa Corps where they were captured. Uh, they, now, were most of these 
prisoner of war camps from the from the African front. Some of them, like, well, it was from all over, but the ones that came here were from that area. Okay, because the ones that were in Douglas, Wyoming, were were Italian and German yeah. soldiers from Africa, mm -hmm. and the one in uh, Arizona was the same situation. Mm -hmm. And so I find that really interesting that, that the prisoner of war were coming over from the African front, not necessarily from the European front. Yeah, we, they, we had 371,000 prisoners in the United States. Wow. Uh, they had uh, 550 big camps and then a few hundred smaller camps. We had uh, 15,000 prisoners here in Utah. And uh, at this camp or different well, camps? Well, the, camp, the big camp was in Ogden. Okay. And they had one at Fort Douglas, one in Orem, and then this one. That's why we're called Branch Camp Number Four. Okay. Uh, we had the 250 prisoners. Uh, when they talked about bringing the prisoners here, the people in the town were a little bit concerned about having it so close to town because there's a canal that runs just to the west of those buildings along that way. Okay. And there were houses just on the other side, so they were really close to the camp. But uh, they soon found out that these young men uh, were not going to be a problem. They were very courteous young men. Um, they just would go around the compound and do their thing. Uh, there was no threat from them that they could find. Uh, eventually, the, some of the townspeople got very well acquainted with the prisoners. Uh, the prisoners were allowed to go downtown with the guards. Um, Dr. Noyes and Mrs. Lau, who was his nurse, were the basic medical staff that took care of the prisoners, they would come up to the camp if they needed to come up here or they could take them down to the hospital if they needed more acute care. Um, the prisoners were uh, able to uh, get what they wanted. Uh, the food they got was provided by the government, but uh, there were some of the German prisoners that were very good cooks. So they would get the government food and then they would cook it themselves how they wanted it to be cooked. Okay. So it was a really good program for them. Uh, the two buildings in the center here are the mess hall and the um, kitchen for the, the prisoners. These buildings over here are the mess hall and the kitchen for the guards. That long building is the dormitory where the guards would stay. Uh, the prisoners were, uh, when they the war started, a lot of the young men were drafted or they were enlisting and the farmers had a hard time getting labor to do their farm work. Right. So the government gave them permission to use the prisoners out on the farms. And they did that in Wyoming also. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And they would take them out and one of the merchants said he always knew where the prisoners were going because the wife of the farmer was in buying goodies to make lunches for the prisoners out on the farm. <laughs> so they, they, the, the farmer paid the government 80 cents a day for each prisoner, and the prisoner was paid a nickel or a dime a day. They were paid in script, and we have a copy of that over here. Um, now, when you say in script... Just, uh, just a little paint like this, right? Oh, just a, okay, just yeah. a little, uh, yeah. well, it looks kind of like a dollar certificate. It says military payment certificate. Yeah. Ten cents. And another one here that says five cents. And they, they said, well, they told him, well, that's not very much money to be paid. And one of them said, well, a carton of cigarettes only costs a dollar and eighty cents. So I guess, <laughs> I guess they were okay if they could buy a carton of cigarettes, you know, Anyway, the, well, if everything else was provided and, and they were yeah. prisoners anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I hate to say that, but that's yeah. kind of the truth. Yeah. 
and they interviewed uh, the well. The the tents were not just tents on the ground. They had the here's a cutout right the flooring and how the the bear, the bunks were in there. Uh, and how many men would they house in each eight. tent? About eight men, and how big were the tents? I don't know what the size was. I mean, they they looked like they were good sized tents, yeah. maybe twenty by twenty tents yeah. or something. And they had the heater in them and everything. So right. Uh, they interviewed some of them and asked them, well, "Why didn't you try to escape?" And they said, "Well, we don't know where we are. Uh, we don't know where we would go. Uh, the food is excellent. Our lodging is good. Our clothing is good." So why would we want to escape? And some of them even said they'd like to stay here after the war was over. Did they, or did they all get sent back? They all got sent back. Uh, also, they interviewed um, the, some of them again, and they said the same thing. They said, well, they're not shooting at us either. <laughs> well, that, uh, that kind of changed on the night of July 7th, which was a Saturday in the evening, and July 8th, which was a Sunday morning. What year? 1945. Okay. Uh, there was a guard named Clarence Bertucci who was kind of a rogue uh, soldier. He had been court-martialed twice and was up for a third court-martial. And uh, the court-martials were not of the severe extent that he would have been dishonorably discharged. It was, he refused to go on guard duty or something, you know, similar. So they said, well, send him to the ends of the earth. So they sent him to Salina. Oh, okay. And uh, so he uh, he came to Salina, and uh, he uh, kind of had it in for the Germans. He told some of the other guards that he was going to get his Germans. And so Saturday night, uh, the 7th of July, he went over to Redmond, which was an outdoor dance pavilion on the shore of Redmond Lake. And he was there for the evening, and he came back to Mom's Cafe, and he told the waitress there that something was going to happen at the camp that night. Uh, he didn't tell her what, but he said something was going to happen. Uh, he went on duty at midnight and climbed up into his guard tower, loaded his gun with 250 rounds and opened fire on the tents. While they were sleeping? Yeah. You've got to be joking. And uh, he hit almost every tent. The, the prisoners were up and running around and what in the world was going on. Uh, some of them were killed in their bunks. Some of them were wounded and came up and they fell in the, in the compound and died. Uh, he killed eight outright that night, and the ninth one died five days later. Uh, and all he killed nine and wounded twenty. And Man. one of the prisoners, uh, he uh, was hit in the foot, and he rolled out on the floor of the tent. And he had a backpack in front of him. And later that day, he noticed a hole in it, and he opened it, and he had a can of shoe polish, and the bullet had lodged in that can of shoe polish. And uh, Dr. Noyes and Mrs. Lan, the medical staff, took care of him. And he said, had he been in Germany, they would have automatically amputated his foot because he was hit in the toes. But they took care of him, and he only lost two toes. So he was very happy with the medical care that he got. Um, Mr. Bertucci was never brought up on charges. Uh, really? He, they, he never showed any remorse for what he had done. People thought maybe he was drunk or he was mentally ill or... Maybe a member of his family had been injured in Germany. He wanted to get revenge, but this was a premeditated act that he did because previously he uh, had told some of the guards that he was going to get his Germans. Um, he spent the rest of his life in and out of hospitals, and he died in 1969 of a brain hemorrhage, and he was in a mental hospital. Uh, he was eventually declared mentally ill, and so even though he may have been brought up on charges and convicted, he would have 
probably spent the rest of his life the way he did anyway in, in mental hospitals. But um, I like to tell people that I remember the good part about how the prisoners were treated. They were really well cared for. And, but the thing is, this incident that Mr. Bertucci did kind of overshadows any of the good that the, the camp did while they were here and the way they were treated here. Uh, Mrs. Lau, uh, her husband was born in Germany and he spoke fluent German, so he was the interpreter for them. Uh, especially the day that Mr. Bertucci did this, uh, they had all the wounded down on the hospital lawn and he was there to help interpret if they had questions and problems to, to, uh, to take care of. But um, the nine that he killed are listed on this display over here and the 20 that he wounded, are, their names are listed. Uh, the youngest one he killed was 21, the oldest was 48. What a travesty. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. Uh, there were some, uh, Mrs. Lau uh, got to know the prisoners very well. They, she was assigned seven of the wounded prisoners, and she took care of them as if they were her own sons. And uh, when they got uh, better, they uh, took them uh, they came back, some of them came back after they had got home, and three of them came back and wanted to thank Dr. Noyes and Mrs. Lau for the excellent care they got. But they had passed on, so they went to the cemetery and paid their respects there. Uh, later on, four of them came back to the high school, and they had a, an assembly, and they told the students how well they were cared for here. And uh, it was quite an ordeal for the community to try and uh, comprehend what in the world was going on, why did it happen, um, my house is about 300 feet from that guard tower, just across Kitty Corner, across the road. Oh, really? Yeah, and we were awakened, and my father and I came out on the front porch, and we could hear the shooting and hear the cries of the prisoners. And, really? And uh, You remember this? Yeah. And wow. We were there, and later that morning, they brought the mattresses out and lined them up on the west side of that big building that the dormitory is. And you can see the stains on the mattresses that they lined. How old were you? Six years old. Oh, I need to remember that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a what a story there. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I uh, people ask me, oh, how, how can you remember? And I said, well, there are things that you remember even back in oh. the early years that kind of set. And so it, uh, I can remember coming out on the front porch and hearing that and my mom, mom says, don't go out there, he might shoot you, but his gun was trained on this camp up here. He right. wasn't worried about any other. But you didn't know what was going on either, no. did you? No, well, yeah. Well, we knew we could hear the shooting and the cries of the prisoners. So we, my father, uh, Dean Nielsen, who was in charge of the work crews that went out, came by later and got my father, and they were allowed into the camp. And uh, when Dad came home, he wouldn't talk about it. It was... He said it was just such a horrendous thing to see and everything. Well, shooting on totally unarmed people yeah. for no reason other than yeah. you didn't like Germans. I mean, yeah. that's just, yeah. it's hard to imagine, I guess. Yeah, and the only reason that he had to stop is that the other guards got up in the tower and, and subdued him because he was getting ready to reload when they wow. got to him. <laughs> but it, uh, there are some good sides to it. Like I say, I like to remember... The stories that the prisoners told uh, about them, their care and everything. And we have on this wall here, there are two letters that uh, we wrote back to Mrs. Lau. 
uh, these two letters here. Uh, this is a jewelry box that one of the prisoners made out of popsicle sticks and matchsticks for a family in Aurora. This the the the. the Artistic talent yeah. that a lot of these guys had was amazing. The, yeah. the POW camp in Douglas, Wyoming, mm -hmm. they painted murals all the mm -hmm. way around the, the mess hall. Mm -hmm. And so they've got these big murals of horses and some of the Western things mm -hmm. that they were doing when they were out helping the ranchers. Mm -hmm. and, and I see some other pictures yeah. here. of This picture is very interesting. Uh, one of the prisoners was a very good artist, and he wanted to do a portrait of the four-year-old son of the farmer. So one morning he took his art supplies with him and went into one of the buildings and got this young man, young boy to sit for him. And uh, he started the painting and the guard came in and said, no, you have, you can't do that. You've got to get out and work. You'll have to do that. This is a picture of this man when he was four years old. The, <laughs> you can still see the resemblance. <laughs> uh, and the, the prisoner did that from memory. Wow. Wow. Mm. That's th amazing. These two here are pictures of the South Pacific that... They had never been there, but they, they painted what they thought it would look like. Probably pretty close to pretty what close. it looks yeah. should look like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then we come back into this area. Yeah, and this display there, these are the K-rations that they used. Uh, they, uh, the names sound pretty good. I don't know what they tasted like, but I had a gentleman come through and he said, I know exactly what they are and what they taste like. <laughs> you open a can of peanut butter and that much grease on the top, but when you get to the peanut butter, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> so, and the other thing that really amazes me is that they use this little tool here to open the cans. Right, the P9? Yeah, yep. I thought, how in the world can you open a can? And he said, hey, you get used to that, you can just go around a can in no time. I've used, them, I've used them a lot, Have camping you? and stuff. Oh, yeah, they're uh -huh. great. In fact, yeah. I think my, my Leatherman has one on it that I've used to <laughs> open uh, yeah. cans at different uh -huh. times. Yeah. Uh, we had a guard tower out here by this building here that represented the guard tower that Mr. Bertucci was in. But we had a very strong wind come through one day, and now all we have is a pile of lumber sitting out there against the <laughs> building. So it, uh, it kind of did its thing on our guard tower. But and then you've got a gas mask over here yeah. and... The tent pegs. Tent pegs, okay. The Those are some big tent pegs. The jacket that they wore. Oh, so that's what the prisoners of war had to wear every day was... Yeah. They had a and specific they, uniform. These are samples of the, the bullets that moved in the gun. Uh, they were all on a strip, so it just kept right. going through. Uh, this little tool here is the cricket that the paratroopers used when they bailed out. They couldn't talk to each other, but they could click that oh. and use it for their communications device. Okay, I've never seen one of those. Yeah. Wow. And then this is the military truck. Uh, it's a 1942 GM ton-and-a-half truck. Okay. Uh, they built 168,000 of them, and when... The war ended rather than pay the freight to bring him back home. They gave Russia 151,000 of them on a Lend-Lease program. Right. Yeah, Lend-Lease is an interesting program yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, we built the Russian army as we left. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it, it's kind of a dangerous truck in some ways. Uh, the crank start on the front of it. Uh, I was taking a gentleman through and he says, you know, that, that thing, if you built up compression behind that and it backed up on you, it could break your arm. Oh, I'll bet. And uh, then the, the tires are split rim and they take the bolts out 
and pull this part out and then they can slide the tire off but if there's pressure behind that that could push that out and kill you oh yeah those split and, rims can be dangerous yeah, we had a gentleman here in town that was working on one and he was very badly injured uh down at one of the service stations and so but it uh, it's a heavy duty truck and i that tell him i says i don't know how they would change one of those if they had to get out on the road if they had a flat tire it would be kind of hard to change one but it, uh, well, and this truck's in awesome shape. Yeah. They've done a really nice job on the yeah. restoration. Well, they, they got it in, in Wyoming. A gentleman in Wyoming donated it, and they just repainted it. Who in Wyoming? Is it the Military Museum in uh, Dubois, Sterling, Wyoming? Sterling, Wyoming, is it? I don't know if it tells you on this platinum packet or not. No, no I'm not it, seeing it there. No, it... Um, because Wyoming, yeah. a, a guy just moved to Wyoming here a few years ago and opened up a, the largest military mm -hmm. vehicle museum in the nation. Mm -hmm. And he's got all kinds of restored trucks and that kind of stuff. I didn't know if maybe it came from there or yeah, if it was just a private party. It was just a private party. That okay. I think, is there Sterling? Sterling, Wyoming? I'm not sure. I just, no. Sterling doesn't ring a bell to me. No, we got it from Wyoming. Okay. And then when they repainted it, they just painted around that artwork that was on there. It's got a pistol pack and mama yeah. with a with a lady in cowboy boots and a gun strapped to her hip and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And this poster that we're walking to, when I first looked at that, I said, "Knock that one." Okay, now I know. <laughs> it says, yeah. knock the he hail out of Hitler, H-E-I-L. Let's keep them pulling for victory. It's got a picture of military of uh, Hitler on the back of one of the military GMC yeah. trucks yeah. falling off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, we have an excerpt from the movie. I don't know if you've seen it, Splinters of a Nation. Uh, it was on PBS about two years ago. That, I don't hardly ever watch TV, okay. so no, I didn't see it. It, it. it is a documentary that PBS did of the whole prisoner of war thing around the country. Okay. And they have we have an excerpt, which is the actual reenactment of the shooting that happened here. But uh, it runs about eight minutes, so you may not okay. have time for that. But. Well, it's extremely cold. I have the time, but I don't know if I, if I have the, the wherewithal to do that right now. Understandably, yeah. Now, your museum is open, you said, September through... It's no. It's open year-round. Oh, this museum's open year-round? Because I, I, I have my phone number on the wall and the door, and they can call me anytime. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, every day except Sunday. <laughs> and you'll, you'll come down and open it up just yeah. like you did for us? I just live a block away from here. Okay. The street here, so anytime... Uh, six days a week. And it's pretty easy to find. You take the only exit to Salina. Salina? Salina. Salina. <laughs> I'll, get it, I'll get it before I leave, maybe. But uh, you take the only exit uh, off of the freeway well, in it Salina. Depends, it depends on which way you come. If you come I-70 or do you come I-15. Oh, okay. So we, we have four. We have coming from I-15, coming from 89, and coming from I-70. We have three entryways to Salina. Okay, well, what I'm going to tell you is you go to the stoplight and you turn to the east and you drive down to 700, which yes. is seven blocks, yeah. and the museum is here right by the cemetery. It's right. really not hard to find right. as long as you know which way you're coming in, which I didn't. I had to ask Rodney, and he very <laughs> kindly told me where to go. 
Uh, <laughs> now, this, this is the article that was printed in the Tribune, the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, for the, uh, it says the guard killed eight Nazis, but uh, these young men were not the true Nazis. The only Nazi true Nazis were the member of the SS under Hitler. And so these were just young men that had been drafted or conscripted. And like I say, the youngest was 21, the oldest was 48. Uh, and now, were all, were all these prisoners German, or do, were, do we determine that some of them were Italian also? Those ones we had here were all German. They but, were all German. But they were Italian prisoners as well in the country. So 371,000 included, oh, okay, okay. included it, okay. Uh, Germans and Italians. But this one here was a strictly German yeah, right. camp. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rose wrote a book called The Salini Utah Massacre. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not. No, I haven't ever heard of it. Yeah, is it for sale in your gift shop? Uh, we had some here, but we ran out. But uh, I guess put, I won't be buying one from you. Then. Well, you can go on <laughs> his, go on his website and probably get one. Okay. But he he interviewed a lot of the people involved in some of the prisoners' families, everybody, and he wrote the book about it and. Uh, the thing that really stuck out to me was his final sentence. He was just young boys who wanted to go home. Uh, nine of them didn't go home, but they were buried at Fort Douglas and Salt Lake in the Military Honor Cemetery. This is the memorial that they did for the nine that they buried in Fort Douglas. Okay. Uh, some of the prisoners were allowed to go to the funeral. Uh, they, they were all dressed in the same. They were not allowed to dress them in their military rank. So they all were dressed in just a regular uh, uniform. So, and huh. they, they were not allowed to play German music at the funeral. So, uh, they were buried with honors in, in Fort Douglas. And, okay. Uh, and the name of this book was Salina, Salina Utah Massacre. Massacre, 8 July 1945. If okay. anybody's interested in getting the book. Yeah. I think I'll probably see if I can't go on Amazon and see if I can get it yeah. or something. Uh, also, if you go on uh, the on the on the internet, splintersofanation dot com, you can see that movie. That okay, splinters of a nation. Yeah. Okay. And it, I'll uh, have to look for that it too. Will, it will show you the this documentary that they did. Okay. Uh, the Desert News had an article as well, but they didn't mention anything about. Uh, being uh, Nazis or anything. Uh, these are the names of the young men who died and the 20 that he wounded. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I don't speak German, so I probably can't pronounce half the name. <laughs> Especially that one right there. Yeah. I'll probably mess that one up big time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is the multiple building. That's this next building over here. Uh, this the original building on the original foundation. Uh, the only repair work they've done to that is uh, putting new tar paper on the roof, all the maybe a board here and there, but everything in the building is original, and it's on the original foundation. If you'd like to walk down, the sure. You have some displays in there also. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh cool. Uh -huh. Now this is an original 1945 Willie's Jeep. Uh, they were fortunate enough to get the original parts when they restored it. Uh, they use it in our parade on the 4th of July and other activities to, when they have uh, occurrences and like that. Okay. And, so, and this is just your basic military Jeep. Uh, it's all set up really nicely. You've got your pick and your shovel or your axe and your shovel and your little brass fire extinguisher. And and uh, looks like it's ready to go to war. Right. Now, this is the, they they'd lift these timbers up and drive their vehicles over them, and then they'd go down in the pit 
right underneath to do their service work. And you got music in here. Yes, this is the music of our time. <laughs> we had some kids from the school come through, and they said, "What in the world is that?" And it I, sounds just like the old '78 records when you put it on the. That's what's playing. Yeah. Oh, okay. It is. It's actually. Well, it's not actually playing. The oh, record. isn't it? Well, the record's spinning. Yeah, but they have it. My heaven! Look at that. Yeah, that wind we had really caused some drifting. Yeah, they got a little bit of snow inside yeah, the building. Yeah, they have a continuous play tape underneath there. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's even got the little uh, scratches of the, it sounds just like the old 78. Yeah. I like those old 78s. I've kind of got my own little collection. Yeah. And this is a movie all of it. You know, when Disney started with their animation, they used the flip cards. Right. This shows a little five-minute Western video uh, in that flip card kind of motif. Really, twenty-five cents, and you can watch the watch the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a little bit cold in here for that to want to be operating too. And then they have the stove that they would heat. Sometimes the stovepipe would get orange, you know, it right? It would get overheated, and there's no way they could just let it go. But the coal that they used, they used lump coal. Yeah. Now, on this up here, we asked the students if they knew what that was, and they, I said, well, that was the computer of our day. Yeah, it's a great big slide ruler. It, it, that is, thing's huge. That's the teaching model. Okay, I was going to say the slide ruler is is what probably five foot long and yeah. and ten inches wide. Yeah, this is the one they have out in the, when they take out in the field. Right. Then they had the smaller ones that they used in the classroom. And the slide ruler, you could slide the center section out and be able to do uh, your calculations. Now a guy knew how to run use these, and he came in. He said, "Let me show you." He tried to. Explain how to solve a problem, and he moved. Oh, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> they said that when NASA started their space program, this is what they used. They didn't have the computers. Really? They used the, the slide, slide rulers. Rule. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then you got a little cot and some old Coca-Cola bottles and. I don't know if you did when we were growing up. They when we bought a bottle of Coke pop, we had to pay a deposit on the bottle. Yeah. And uh, we'd go around, pick them up, take them back to the store and get a nickel apiece. And I was going to say, I never paid the deposit, but I sure picked up a lot of bottles that somebody else paid the deposit on, and I got the nickel. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the way you bought your candy bars and stuff, was right. walk around the, yeah. the side of the road picking yeah. up old Coke bottles. And they have the old jar that they made the pickles in. And Did you ever do homemade root beer? With the capper? Yeah. 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 <laughs> My neighbor used to do a bunch of that, and we they we had a bottle capper. Yeah. Uh, again, you guys would have to go to an antique store if you don't know what we're talking about. But it's got a lever on it with a little cap that would just fit the size of a Coke bottle, uh, yeah, the old Coke bottle cap that you pop off with yeah. a bottle opener. You would crimp it down, and it would crimp it down over the bottle once you got your root yeah. beer put in there, and then it would ferment, and and then when you popped it, you'd have your carbonation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this, uh, there are a lot of these around the theme parks around the country. Oh. This, this one has four different pictures here. Which are unique to this area, and you can flatten your penny with the uh, mm -hmm. with the logo of the right. camp here. You no, know, I told them when we wanted to flatten a penny, we put it on the railroad track and let the train do it. But 
You know, I tried that a couple of times, yeah. and I looked for hours for that penny. I think they actually <laughs> stick on the train wheel yeah. and deposit them 100 miles down the road, so you were probably picking up somebody else's penny. Yeah. So it, like tell them that we, we had a flat penny. We didn't have a nice picture engraved on it like this does, but we could flatten a penny that way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I found one one time by Multnomah Falls in Oregon when I was growing up, uh-huh. and it was a nineteen nineteen penny. I could still see the I could still see the year on yeah. the stretched out yeah. Lincoln. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Well, this is really cool. Nice display of of things and and very interesting stories. Do we have more to see? Uh, this is it. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we go, I didn't get a chance to talk to you a little bit about the area here around Salina. Mm-hmm. I said it right? Salina. Salina. Dang it! I'm going to get it here before this is over, maybe. <laughs> anyway, but this area is really a cool area. It's, well, it's yeah. downright cold today. Yeah. But uh, this area sits kind of in a whole bunch of mountains mm-hmm. right off the interstate, mm-hmm. or I guess right off of two interstates. Yeah, well, the, the I-15 is about 25 or 30 miles to the west of us. Okay. But the, the Highway 50 goes from here to Scipio to I-15. Okay. And then this I-70 goes through Richfield and connects with I-15 over by Cole Ford. Okay. Well, this area looks like it's got some great recreational opportunities oh, yeah. as far as uh, off-road vehicles, yeah. fishing, uh, I'm assuming rock climbing, yeah. all kinds of things. This looks like a fantastic area yeah. to just come hang out and, and recreate. Yeah, we have uh, the great, there's the Great Western Trail uh, unit set up, which is about, I think, 3,000 miles of trail. Really? We have one of the, the trailheads up on I-70, just maybe, you know, six or eight miles up the canyon, and there's a big trailhead there where they can park and take their vehicles off. We have all kinds of trails up Gooseberry, um, and the trails go, well, they have, a, a, every year they have what they call the Rocky Mountain Jamboree. Which okay. Is, they have people from all over the world coming here in four-wheelers. Really? They take them on tours for a whole week. They take them on tours of this whole area. Uh, some of the rich guys, they send their four-wheelers over here in big trucks and then they bring them in big trucks here to Richfield unload them and that they they have seven eight hundred sometimes eight hundred people in their four wheelers. Really? That goes through that jamboree every September. Wow. Yeah. We may have to come back. Maybe yeah. this sounds like fun. And so was this yeah. an old mining town or what, what well, started this town? The big thing here, they had a coal mine up the cat two coal mines up the canyon. Okay. One was called the Severe Valley Coal Mine which was a, a vertical pit, which they were down about 300 feet. Let me turn that music off. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I, I hope that the music's not too loud for for what we're trying to do here. Uh, they, had the, they would go down vertical, and then they'd branch off to mine the coal. And they had another mine farther up the canyon, which was owned by the Mortensen family. And they would do everything by hand. They'd drill and blast with dynamite. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they sold out to a big corporation, and so that mine now, Sufco Mine, goes 24/7. And we had two big uh, trucking companies here. Uh, they had about a hundred double trucks hauling okay. coal, plus a lot of independents hauling coal out of there. Wow! 
the big thing here um, was the sugar beets were the big cash crop. Okay. When I was growing up, and we would have, during the summer, we would go out and thin sugar beets, and then in the fall, we would have a couple of days off in school called the fall harvest. They'd go out and harvest the sugar beets. Uh, now it's basically the coal mines, um, and then the, the cattle, they have cattle and the alfalfa and corn and like that. But uh, it is a very beautiful area in the summer, the green fields, the, the mountains are green, and in the fall and the change of colors and everything, it's, it's a beautiful town. But it, uh, it started in the mid-1850s when uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints wanted to expand out of the Salt Lake Valley. Okay. The president sent the people here to look at the area and see if there was an area that they could maybe support 28 families or so. And the people came here and they, the, the Salina Creek was here and the river was here, so they figured that there was it was adequate that they could bring families in. And when they got here, they didn't have time to build houses. They had to get their crops in to sustain them through the winter. So they lived in dugouts. They dug holes in the ground, okay. put roofs over them, and that's what they lived in the first year they were here. Okay. But it, uh, my great-great-grandfather uh, was one of the original settlers of Salina. So you and, got a little bit of history oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the Rasmussen family, the Neil C. Rasmussen, uh, he was one of the people that came down with the first to see how, if they could, you know, sustain a, a community here. Wow. And then they, when they got here, they had the Indian problem with the Blackhawk Indians, so they had to move to Sand Peak County for a while. Then they came back and built a fort here in town so that when they had problems, again, all the families could gather in this fort to protect themselves. So huh. it's, a, it's an interesting community, but it... Uh, I may have to come back sometime when it's a little bit warmer yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, stay and play. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like a lot of fun, to be yeah. right honest yeah. with you. Now, that, the road that uh, goes up Gooseberry, they, uh, they, finally they oiled it from here clear around up to Fish Lake. It, before, it was just a gravel road, and you'd get washboard, and you'd shake. You'd kind of, but now the people, the, the campers come in, and they're just it's amazing the number of people that come up and go up Gooseberry and up this area. And the huh. trails that they can find, and everything—it's just. Yeah. I used to go up there with me and my, my friend, and I would go up and travel the, the trails. And he'd take me in places I had never seen. I lived here all my life. I was born and raised here, and he took me places that were just amazing huh. on those trails that they—they wow. through there. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Rodney, I so appreciate yeah. you spending. This day with us, especially yeah, with the is. with the temperature the way it is and everything else, <laughs> yeah. this has been very educational for me, Thank you. and hopefully for everybody else listening. Thank I you. always finish out my podcast by saying the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore, mm -hmm. see what's out, mm -hmm. see what what's happened, see where why we're here, why we are where we are now, mm -hmm. and everybody have an absolutely wonder filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?